another edition of Intentional Conversations. On Intentional Conversations, we seek to interview leaders in men's ministries to help men grow spiritually and help leaders and pastors to reach men in today's culture, discussing issues men face every day. It is a program where a men's ministry leader interviews leaders in men's ministry. I am your host, Mike Salen, and I thank you for joining us. If you have listened to many of my programs, you probably know that I strongly encourage one-on-one discipleship. If a church wants to have a life-changing movement in the community, they need to intentionally target their men, encouraging them to be in discipling relationships. This is the fastest way to help men grow in their faith. And as they grow in their faith, men will reach out in other areas of ministry to put their hands and feet to work for Christ. On the program today, we will be talking with someone in the midst of this battle to help churches target, engage, and encourage their men. My guest is someone I consider a good friend and colleague in the battle for men's souls, Kevin Gregory, an area director with Man in the Mirror. Now, Kevin is committed to serving pastors and leaders in the community surrounding the Sanford, North Carolina area. As a trained Man in the Mirror expert in men's discipleship, Kevin guides pastors and leaders through a comprehensive strategy to reach and disciple all of their men because every man disciple impacts a marriage, family, workplace, and community. Kevin was born in Montrose, Pennsylvania and currently resides, like I said earlier, in Sanford, North Carolina area with his family. He is a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel who served in the Armored, Cavalry, Civil Affairs, and Psychological Operations. He is an ordained minister with a master's in divinity from Campbell University and has planted churches for the Southern Baptist Convention in Tennessee and North Carolina. His current focus is working with churches to assist them in getting men to engage in life-on-life discipleship. He will not rest until every man he encounters has a relationship with Jesus Christ and is doing life-on-life discipleship with other men. Kevin, thanks for being on the program today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be with me. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. <clears throat> That's good, man. Of course, Kevin and I have known each other for several years. I used to work with Man in the Mirror as a field representative for a while, and that's kind of the way we got to know each other. And, of course, he and I had a, a common mentor for a number of years, but he's since gone on with the Lord and Jeff Kasaya, and that's where how Kevin and I got to know each other, and it's been a been a great working relationship between the two of us. And I, and I thank him so much for um, his effort and what he does for the Lord in ministering to men. Well, Kevin, you know, I start um, all my podcasts with my guests asking them two questions. And uh, one of the first questions is, what is your favorite verse? What <laughs> verse do you uh, really, uh, it's really, or maybe just a verse that's really speaking into your life right now. And why is that verse so meaningful? I have a ton of them, uh, Mike, especially with, as, <laughs> well, as I'll, I'll pick, one, pick, pick one or two only, please. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying that. And I, and I saw your, your email. I thought, well, yeah, I better narrow that down. But, I mean, of course, I mean, as iron sharpens iron, you know, so shall one man sharpen in the counts of another. I mean, that's probably my one of my major life verses. One that's speaking to me right now is Second uh, Timothy 2.2. You know, the things you've seen me do amongst, you know, many witnesses commit these to faithful men who will do likewise. I mean, he's basically telling Timothy, find fat people, faithful, available, teachable, and and uh, specifically men, and pass on the mantle of the gospel message so that they can in turn, you know, do life on life with somebody else. And so that's kind of my thing. Um, I also know you said, you know, 
is there a life verse or something that that drives you well yeah there is for me uh it's been modified over the years but i mean i always stick to this one abide in in god daily reject passivity accept responsibility lead courageously serve humbly invest eternally and teach and train other men to do likewise every day of my life that's kind of my has been my life statement for probably since uh 97 98 when i started to iron it out um that's been my life verse and that's kind of what i want to do i want to i want to see other guys become fully devoted followers of christ and disciple making uh, into putting it into the lives of other men yeah you know i kind of recognized uh, some of what you were saying there about leading courageously reject passivity mm -hmm. and uh and so forth that's a little bit of uh, robert lewis's uh yep. quest for a thing of manhood he comes out of yep. that and and uh that, that's some good stuff there well Share with our listening audience um, about how you came to Christ. When, when did that occur, and what was that experience like, and how's life been since? Yeah, well, my, I mean, I, I've been uh, accused of having a drug problem. I was drugged to church from the time <laughs> I was, a, I was uh, there. I was there. I, was I know that drug real, problem. <laughs> real small child. Uh, so, you know, to me, I, you know, I, I've been in the church uh, most of my life, but the most two, two significant events actually three, I'll, I'll caveat the three of them, three significant events in my growing up years. You know, early on, I didn't know anything about it. I was baptized in the United Methodist faith. I had nothing. I mean, it didn't really resonate with me. Um, in 1969, we joined a church, um, the Free Methodist Church in, in upstate New York in, in the Brighton, it was Edgewood. And once we got to that community of believers, we found a a fellowship, a body that believed in discipleship. And so um, through a Sunday school teacher, and she's still a ministry partner, but actually today, Mike, my, my Sunday school teacher, the, the one woman who led me to faith in Christ is still a financial partner today, uh, Jean Bartlett. She actually was the first person to introduce me to Jesus. And so at the age of six, I think I was at that time, I, I believed and trusted in the Lord at that time. And I, of course, you know, didn't know anything what that meant. Didn't know, you know, where that would lead to. Um, fast forward to 1973, um, and there was a uh, push in our church uh, to get young people to become members of the Free Methodist faith. And mm -hmm. so a part of that uh, discussion with the associate pastor was, where are you with the Lord? What 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 is your relationship with the Lord look like today? And why should we be, you know, had letting you become a member of the church at your young age and i was you know that question just struck me you know and i really had to come to terms with the grips of you know well i'm here because my parents know i'm here because i really do believe in jesus he is in my heart and he really is guiding me and i really wanted to be a member of the church and so I, through that process i you know my faith was solidified right then Fast forward another couple of years, uh, through the influence of several people, I joined the military and found myself um, at Fort Riley, Kansas, at a military chapel under the tutelage of one of my favorite chaplains, Curry Vaughn. He actually wrote a book, uh, Battleground out of Vietnam. And uh, under his you know, tutelage and leadership, I was convicted uh, growing up in the United Methodist faith. Of course, you're baptized as an infant. Growing up in the Free Methodist faith, you know, baptism wasn't very talked about. 
but under his tutelage, I realized, you know what, I hadn't really taken that step. You know, it's not that I didn't believe it. I already did. I already was working all that kind of stuff, those kinds of details, but I had never really made a public uh, profession uh, through baptism. And so under his guidance and direction in uh, December of 1982, I took that step and uh, became baptized. And so from that moment on, I mean, I, you know, have been a strict follower to the Lord but it wasn't, you know, joined the military, married a missionary wife, the missionary kid uh, had, you know, you know, great kids and all that kind of stuff. But it became apparent to me that something was missing. Uh, in 95, I encountered a group of guys uh, that had formed a promise keepers group, uh, a small group. And uh, it was from that group study that I realized, you know what, this is this is not a Lone Ranger thing that you do. You know, you become the mm-hmm. faith, you get baptized, whatever. I realized, you know, I've been, you know, Christian for a while, and yet I had not really matured much in my faith. I mean, my faith was still strong, but it wasn't it wasn't where it could be and right. where it needed right. to be. And I hadn't done any life on life uh, transition with anybody else. I may have. You know, share my faith, but if it was few and far between. It was not a, a priority to me. And in 95, I realized things had to change. And this group of guys challenged me in different ways to grow in my faith. And it was from that uh, encounter with those guys that I think things really started to change. And I really started to mature a lot more in, in Christ. Mm, well, it, well it, is a, it is a growth because, you know, the Bible talks about spiritual milk and spiritual meat and things of that nature of, uh, of growing in Christ. And, and, and it's interesting. Well, you've been with man in the mirror for a number of years. How long have you been with them? Actually, I'm this officially, um, since they offered me a, a position as area director, it's been, uh, coming up on seven years in March. It'll be, okay. I, okay. I signed up with them in, um, 24, 15 yeah 2015 so it'll be yeah seven years in this march will be my seventh anniversary well and what do you do as an area director what's what is your what is your role i i really uh serve pastors i mean that's my the heart of what i do is is build relationships to serve pastors to be able to help train leaders within their church to reach and disciple men i mean that's really um what i do and i really enjoy um the opportunity to get to know pastors first um, and then ask them to identify a key guy in their church that I can take under my wing and and show how to uh, how to reach and disciple other men. And they usually hand off a guy to me, and I spend the season with them, working with them, and helping them to um, disciple other other guys. I mean, to to create an environment where you know guys are growing in their faith and and walking even deeper in the Lord. Uh, that's good, and and it's great to know that pastors is willing to accept you and 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 encourage some of their men to to come under your tutelage, so to speak, to to ministry. Because one of the things I, I think we both understand is that most um, most church leaders don't fully understand what it takes to really target their men and engage their men. Would you say that's true? Yes, and that, and I would say also too. I mean, I I serve a number of pastors. And, and this is the heart, this is the hard part and the hurt because I hear it in their voice. I mean, I met with a pastor, you know, just a month or two back and uh, asked him to identify a key leader 
um, in his his organization that he thought might have a heart and a passion for guys that I could develop and train. Mm -hmm. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, I don't have that person. <laughs> he said, I, I don't, that doesn't exist in my church. And, mm -hmm. um, and that too often I feel like that is the case. And so there's a lot of pastors out there that um, just don't have those right-hand guys, those, those guys that are coming along. A lot of the pastors are out there thinking, well, you know, I'm here. I teach every Sunday. Um, a lot of these pastors, like that one particular, is bivocational. And so they have a full-time job that they're working elsewhere, and they're just, you know, uh, on the weekends uh, taking care, care of a body of members, whatever that looks like. Um, but a lot of them as in this particular case, are not mature enough in their faith where he felt like he could hand them off to me to, to grow them. And so we talk about, you know, okay, so what is it going to take uh, to bring those guys forward? And so I'm helping him to develop some <clears throat> opportunities for him to get to know those guys a little bit better, find out where they are spiritually and what it takes to get them to, to, to do the next step to grow in their faith. Now, well, let's talk about that a little bit because, uh, you know, that's one of the things that uh, I, I'm, you know, I struggle with, too, and uh, people I talk with is, why is it we don't have men in our churches that feel the passion and the calling, because you and I both believe it is a calling uh, to minister to men uh, as a leader, but uh, why is it do you think that uh, churches don't have those men they can tap into like that, and they pastors struggle to to find guys like that in their church is it because of their upbringing is it because our our uh, method of training men's leaders is not uh, well known and understood or what do you think i think mike you hit a couple of issues i mean i think there's the one the culture that we've created in our churches is that the pastor is the guy and so whatever he says goes and Whatever he does, you know, we try to follow. And the reality is if that pastor's never been discipled and he, he he knows how to do, you know, the theology, he's been taught all the preaching right. methodology and right. he does all that. But if he's never truly been discipled, then he's not going to know how to disciple the men of his church uh, because it's not happened to him. Um, he's learned it a particular way. He got his information from the pulpit or from, you know, class instruction or whatever. And so that... That's his mindset right away as well. Yeah, I just, if I give enough pulpit time and I give enough instruction, you know, in class time, then, you know, they'll get it and eventually we'll, we'll get down the road to where we're at. But if they've never done life on life to, to talk the issues of life biblical, you know, how to deal with them biblically, then I don't think, you know, they're, they're not knowing how to work. Uh, with men over a period, over a season, instead of in these short bites of training, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I think I think that's one of the big issues. That if they've never had that experience of what does life, love, and life discipleship look like over a, a longer period of time, then they don't know how to do it. And so to anticipate that a pastor is immediately going to come and say, hey, I've got this and I'm ready to do it, is I think is wrong on our part to think that. And then the second part is, I think the church has gotten away uh, from leadership development in the way that we've, you know, back in the day when, you know, long before, I would say in the 1800s, 1900 time frame, it was nothing to have a lot of male teachers uh, grow up in the church. I mean, 
the, the males, it was a male dominated environment for the most part. And the pastor relied on a lot of elders and a lot of deacons and other things to carry the ministry. <clears throat> Fast forward to that, you got guys going off to war over a period of time. And, and the next thing you know, you've got women having to step into those roles. And when the guys come back, instead of stepping back into the church, they advocated and they stayed away from the church. And this is physical things that are happening. And there's a guy yeah. that wrote yeah. about this a guy by the name of Polds wrote a book about uh, the feminization of the, of the Christian church. Right. And right. it's not, not, you know, it wasn't intentional, not on anybody's part to be negative. It's just, that's the, the way that, that the church shaped. And so, you know, now we're into the 1950s and sixties and women are the dominant force in the church and the men have advocated because they didn't want to usurp anything. They didn't want to mess up anything. Um, and so now we've got a whole different picture of what manhood looks like because now the women are leading yep. and the men have kind of taken a step back. And when, you know, boys growing up under that go, oh, well, then mom's the one to go through if I need to know anything about the Bible. And yep. and yep. so the man has has stepped back out of the role of the priest and king and now, you know, if we try to bring that back in, uh, there's a little bit of resistance there. And then the family is kind of shook up about it. And so it, it, we need to transition at some point to get back to that. But the reality is that that is a serious issue that that's caused uh, a little bit of the problem uh, as well. And the other thing is, is we don't have a seminary that's teaching on this, Mike. I mean, let's just oh, say yeah. I was going to mention that. When we formed the National Coalition uh, for Ministry to Men back in, you know, 97 period, the, the number one issue was <clears throat> how many books are out there dealing with the issues that men face uh, and what are the biblical answers to those issues? Because, you know, you know, again, we're talking about men have stepped away from the church. They're not talking about those things at church. The church is a little bit different makeup than it has been before. More, lot, more or less women and children friendly and a lot less man friendly. And so the initial thought was, well, we need to get curriculum back in, you know, to talk about these issues for men. We need to open the church back up so that men feel more comfortable uh, going back and then talking about those ideas. And so that's now, you know, moved us a little bit further down the road. We're still trying to work through that. <clears throat> and so we're now starting to see a trend come back to that. But the reality is, we have a whole couple of generations, two or three generations that haven't grown up in what it looks like for the discipleship piece to be handed down from generation to generation. What does that look like? Yeah, and, and I totally agree with what you're saying. I know um, Steve Solomon and I were talking here not too long ago about training and the fact that so many of our church people in our church all the time thinks the pastor has all the answers because they 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 went and they got their theological degree. They got their master's degree in seminary and they've been trained in all aspects of ministry. And it's not to take anything away from the pastors. They've been thoroughly trained in doctrinal and theological processes and how to communicate and, and, and be appository on their preaching and so forth. And a lot of them do an excellent job, but just because they went to seminary does not mean they know how to operate or run a particular ministry to a specific group of people. And, uh, and that's one of the things that he and I were, was, was talking about uh, pretty heavy. You go look at, it, you go look at the, uh, the curriculum of just about any Christian college or any, any seminary, you will not find anything about uh, how to minister to men in, or in any shape, form, or fashion. And so it's important for people like yourself 
to be able to step up and be able to make yourself available on the things you've trained them, you've been trained in, and, and be able to help them understand. How, well, how hard is that? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I think uh, there's a couple of issues in regards to seminary. One of the things that I came away from seminary in, in you know, learning that Christian education in the 1800s was a huge deal. I mean, in fact, 17 and 1800s, um, yeah. you learned English out of a Bible. I mean, seriously, yeah. I mean, you're right. in, in the, in the, in the primer, then the original primers back in the, the, you know, the early days were all about biblical principles and and that's where you learned and grew up in in that type of an environment well that's of course completely changed now um, we have a different you know way of education but the bottom line is we still need um solid doctrinal and theological education christian education right. in the church right. still is very essential um the sunday school program that you know we all started late 1800s early 1900s was was an attempt uh, because we knew that the schools were going more and more secular in their education. They were getting rid of the the theological-based primer and some other things. And so the way to counteract that was, of course, start the Sunday school, That you know, to put that Christian education back into the church that was so essential. But we're only talking one hour a week <laughs> versus the school, which was getting the kids five days a week, eight hours a day. Um, or six to eight hours a day, depending on where you went to school. But the bottom line is the one hour was not making up for what needed to take place. And so, again, we're, ha we're talking a generational, a, a generational issue that's been passed over two or three generations now to where we're at a point where biblical illiteracy is probably at an all-time high, um, even though we're doing it from the pulpit. The Christian education in our Sunday school is you follow a book uh, format usually now, um, and it's printed out for you. It has a passage of scripture and a little bit of a narrative, um, but they don't want to make it too difficult or they don't want to make it too hard because people are reading at a sixth grade level and all those other issues that they throw into it where previous to this, you know, we had higher education levels than we have now. And, and of course, the, the emphasis is not where it needs to be, but I think the the problem is we need to get back to that. And how do we get back to that? It goes back to the the things that we're mandating within Man the Mirror is we've got to get the man right because he's now the man problem. He's been advocating. He's been pulling away from the the right role function within the within the the church and the family and the community. So we have to get him back into the picture like he should. So he needs to have a learning curve of what that should have looked like and what it should look like biblically to put him back in there. And that's going to take a little bit of time. And then it's going to take generations of men doing that over a period of time to start to reverse this trend. And I, I, I think we're ultimately going to get there. It's just a matter of, we now need to make that course correction. Oh yeah. I agree. When, you know, one of the things that uh, Pat Morley used to always say, and he, and he wrote it in his book, uh, no, no man left behind that in this process of doing what you're saying, of getting men to understand the importance of one-on-one -on -one relationships and discipleship in men's ministry and building that that effective and vibrant ministry to men, it don't happen overnight. It just doesn't happen overnight. It takes anywhere from five to 10 years uh, to establish it where it's a perpetual thing, so to speak. And and that's one of the things that you, you, know, you and I have, have both learned 
it's just something you got to stay with it. And it's, 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 it's me that's speaking our, to one person. And yeah. Well, that's speaking why to our, others. But I think that's why our model is so important. And then the engine behind the model, I mean, we, we've got this model we call the no man left behind. I mean, it's, it's nothing more than a biblical model of what, what, uh, you know, getting men to be in life on life discipleship looks yeah. like, you know, we want the end product to be fully devoted followers of Christ and out of that abundance, they're bringing others along with them. But in order to do that, we've got to get back into a, a cyclic um, established pattern of what we call create, capture, and sustain. You know, we got to create the opportunities yeah. for guys to get into community, to get into this training pipeline capture them while they're there to get them to you know do a season of training whatever that looks like you know four to six weeks we try to keep it small but enough to get them you know a little bit educated and a little bit more um knowledge uh biblically and and what it takes to grow as a man and then we try to sustain that over a longer period of time you know get guys plugged in more and more to the you know uh deeper growth opportunities more opportunity to connect with other guys, those kinds of things. And we, but we have to keep that going and we have to be intentional about this process in churches. You know, we really need to get uh, pastors to capture this vision of what's happened to, to this over a period of time and how, what's going to take to reverse this. And so the question we ask pastors is where do you want to see the men of your church a year from now? five years from now, 10 years from now, what do you want, what do you see them doing and what do you want them to be doing? Uh, and, and, you know, in those years uh, yeah. to come, let's talk about that model a little bit, because, you know, most people, if they haven't read the book, no man left behind, they haven't been to any of the man and Mary training classes of no man left behind. They probably don't fully understand what that, what we're talking about when we talk about the model, there's a foundation that you have to build as you begin to develop this, this process of, of a conveyor belt, basically, is what is used. So what, what, let's talk about that foundation. What's that foundation that churches need to look for first? What do they need to strive to do to establish that foundation for that conveyor belt? Well, the, the first foundation has to be the biblical foundation because everything we need to do is we need to go back to what is the church's mission? What is its mandate? And the only mandate that was given was in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which says, the Lord says, go ye therefore in all the world and make disciples. He didn't say anything, but that's what we're supposed to do. So if the, if the priority, the first foundation is not discipleship, then the church is missing the mark on what it's supposed to be doing, what its mission is. And mm -hmm. so we, we're trying to help churches to recognize your number one priority is discipleship. Right. That's your number one priority. And so if that's not the base, that first base that you're talking about, those three strands, uh, if that's not the first base, you're not going to get very far. Amen. I mean, that's the bottom line. And then the second base that we've got to get over, and this is that cultural um, base that we talked about, where men are no longer, uh, you know, feel welcome in the church. They've advocated that role. You know, the environment's changed. It's, you know, a lot of churches out there are women and children friendly, but they're not man friendly. And so the next, you know, base that has to be in there is we have to create environments uh, that men can feel safe in that can come back into the church and say, you are welcome here. You're, you're not only welcome here, but you're an essential part of why we exist. This church yeah, exists yeah. to reach men. This church yeah, exists to bring guys in. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that, you know, I talk about a lot is, is masculinity. Is the church got to feel a little bit more, show, show a little bit of masculinity. That's not necessarily just like do away with all your feminism, no. uh, feminine, but you got to bring some of that masculinity back into it and uh, help a man to feel. Because one of the questions that we often ask pastors and men's leaders is uh, when men leave your church, how would they answer this question? Men are blank here you know are they valued are they are they welcome or are they considered a nuisance or something that i we want them to really think through that process of where where how are they targeting me and what's what's the what's the next one what's the next one they and the, next, and the third one is the most important one in, in my estimation because i feel like you know as a church we want the pastor to be the head of the church so we want him to fulfill the role to say he's going to cast the vision <laughs> to right. bring the others along. But we also know that the pastor is not, we're not asking the pastor at a program. We're not asking the pastor to, you know, put on, you know, something specific for men. We're asking the pastor, what is the vision? Where does he want to see his guys grow to over a period of time? So all we want the pastor to do is identify that vision, where he wants to see the guys come, and then to identify the guys that he has in his own congregation, the leaders, the next set of leaders that he feels like he can empower to carry that mission and vision forward. That's that's what we're asking. And so the three strands of leadership is, okay, we got the pastor. We're asking him to identify that lead guy because we want, you know, amongst that group of team or whatever, we need to have a lead guy that's got a passion and a heart to see men grow in Christ and grow in their faith. So we want that lead guy. And then we want that team. It's got that lead guy can't do this by himself either, even with a pastor. It's going to take a team of guys to bring this about in the church. And so we want them to build those three strands, the, the pastor, that key leader, and the team <laughs> to, to take that ministry forward. And so that's the third base of that, of that foundation um, before you get to the create, capture, sustain, which is the engine to drive that conveyor belt like you're talking about. To bring into to bring the church to the mission of making disciples. Amen, amen. And 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 you do need those individuals because one of the things we have seen over the years, um, so many churches, so many churches will just find a man to put on their nominating form or whatever form they may have, whatever it may be, to fill a slot, so to speak. They'll, they'll just come up to a guy and say, "Hey, man, we got to fill, we got to put somebody in here as our men's leader, whatever they may call it, director, whatever." Uh, would you would you do that and? He feels obligated to do to uh, help the church out to be a uh, a team member, so to speak. So he says, "Yeah, I'll do it," you know. But he ain't got a clue what to do, and nobody knows what to teach him. So they put him there, and he may try to do something. He may try to do something, and he may get some things going. But something will happen that his job will cause him to move somewhere else, or or uh, he'll get burnt out even because he's trying to do it all by himself, or. Or, uh, or he'll take another responsibility in the church, and there's nobody there to step up into that role that he's at. But by, through this three strands of leadership you're talking about, the, that, uh, uh, that team leadership role, you'll have somebody that's prepared to move into that spot, so it keeps it going. So it's, it's, I think that's one of the things that we, um, we have failed over the years to help, help uh, our leaders to understand the importance of uh, really connecting there in, in leadership with our men. That's super. Now, what about once you get that foundation started, where do you go from there? It goes back to that, that create, capture, sustain cycle. It's around the pastor vision. What's, what do we want to see 
in that vision, you know, men doing two, three years, five years down the road, what do we, what do we want to see men be able to do? And then trying to figure out, okay, now we have a ministry to men. Every church has a ministry to men. Every, every last one that says, well, we don't have anything going on, whatever. You all have a ministry to men. There's, it's just, what does it look like in your context? And that's what we need to check. Uh, I, so, used to, I used to tell people all the time, I still do. I still tell people, they say, we don't have a ministry, men. I say, oh, yes, you do. You know, yeah. it depends on what you're doing. You're either telling the men that they're important or you're telling the men they're not important, but you have a ministry to men. <laughs> yeah. rather, rather you think you do or not. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean yeah, anyway, so, so anybody that's connected to the church, and this is where we get, you know, pastors to start making an assessment. This is what we come in and we kind of do a pre pre survey and say, okay, so how many men do you have in attendance? And then we start asking questions like, so how many men come to your church every day? So you got the mailman and you got the FedEx driver and you got the janitor and you got the groundskeeper and you got, okay. So, you know, whether you like it or not, every one of those guys is being ministered in some way when they walk in your door. Good or bad or indifferent. I mean, they're going to feel welcome or not feel welcome. But either way, the bottom line is you have you have a larger ministry to men than you probably realize. So we try to get them to identify what that looks like. And then we try to get them to identify the types of men that are coming to the church. So you got the natural guys, don't know Christ, but they may have a curiosity about what's going on. So they're coming. <clears throat> you got the cultural Christians. Hey, they grew up in a church. Everything's fine. You, you got to give your money and tithe. They come to church because that's the cultural thing to do. I mean, my parents went, so I'm going. You know, yeah, and then you're having, you're having. Yes, you then you got the biblical guys. Those guys that you know made a statement of belief have been, you know, uh, followed that up with baptism. They're coming to the church. You got them there. They may not be actively involved in whatever, but they're they're there. And then you have those that are in leadership, those that, you know, believe, trust, and they may be making disciples. They may not. We don't know uh, until we engage them to find out where they exactly stand in their leadership skills and, and whatever they're doing, but they're there. And then we have a fifth type, which is in every one of those categories, and that's the hurting guy. Right. Um, right. Because you got a hurting guy in every one of those categories. And what's the church offering those guys? And the problem is in our society right now, there's so much hurt and pain that the church is not even prepared to deal with the hurting guys. And so oftentimes we don't even consider those because we don't have the ministries and we don't have the things available or the resource even uh, to help some of those guys that are dealing with some of those major issues, pornography, addictive behavior, you name it, suicide, whatever. I mean, we just, you know, as a, as a church, which is sad because we were that source in the 1800s when there was a major spiritual issue or when there was a major even psychological issue the church pastor the church was the place that that most of those people went uh to get that resource and now it's flipped we we secularized everything we send everybody outside the church to get that mental health and that alcohol addiction and whatever but the reality is the church is the answer we have the biblical basis to resolve every thing that's on the face of the earth god's given us the opportunity and the hurting man should be uh finding that resource in the church and the reality is we we're not prepared as churches to even receive them oh yeah those, i can't help yeah i couldn't help but think when you were talking about the various things that churches used to be about mm -hmm. is keith green uh 
probably date myself a little bit, but Keith Crane, <laughs> which was a uh, which was a, a Christian uh, artist back in the in the early seventies, he used to say a lot of times the church was the original homeless shelter, the church was the original uh, pregnancy counseling center, the church was the original food stamp area, the church was the original unemployment office, so to speak, and we stopped doing that and and we relegated it to to the culture to do that. And that's, and that's caused a lot of issues. And, and when you're dealing with men, men have a hard time sharing their feelings and their hurts, but, but you've got to establish something some way. And that's how you do that through your discipleship is developing those groups and those trainings within that one-on-one -on -one discipleship to meet those needs of the men. You know, you've heard me quote, and you know the scripture, you're a pastor, you know you know the, the scripture of two is better than one is greater return of their labor because if one falls down, there's another there to lift him up. But pity the man that doesn't have another to lift him up. That's what we need in our lives. So, But I think, Mike, the perception is that, you know, when we're offering safe places, it is that, that well, that's for the hurting man, it's not for me. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. that's that's the mentality of most guys, and and the problem is that is because the church is so geared, let's just say, and so educated now to the process of sol solving the theological and doctrinal issues. So it's the head game. So and the and the touchy feeling because we're used to the touchy feeling now over our our culture, and so. Most guys, I, if I were a guy, I'd feel uncomfortable with those two things if that was not my comfort zone. And the reality is the church was the place way back when where men played hard, you know, together. They did life together. They did major things. You know, a church building was everybody got together and they built the church. And that was the foundation. They physically built the church, but they also just had a lot of fun. They did barbecues and picnics and you know, the, you name it, the guys had challenging times and fun things at church. Church culture was a time where a man could be a man around other men. And we've gotten away from that. And so now when we start talking about the head things, oh, yeah, well, I need to learn things, whatever. So that's kind of a head thing. That's a little bit of a turnoff. If we talk, okay, we're going to have small groups where we're going to talk about all of our life's problems and our issues. And so that sometimes is a turnoff for guys. But if they knew that this is the place where we're going to go hunting, fishing, and shooting, or we're going to go out and, and do one of the extreme sports or whatever, they would see church in a different light if that was the case. And the reality is the church needs to be all that. We need to be the, the, the place where we can play hard, have fun, and at the end of the day, help men to deal with the issues biblically that they're going to face in their lifetime. And that's the reality of what church is supposed to be about. That's the life on life. So we're not t telling guys to come in the small band, you know, these mamby-pamby small groups, share my personal intimate feelings with a whole mess of guys, and I'm going to feel okay at the end of the day. No, you probably won't. <laughs> the reality is we want you to turn to God, to abide in him, and out of what he's taking you through, share that with other guys to help them to learn that the life of a male, biblical male, is what Christ was like. He had the face of a warrior. He went to the cross, warrior-like, doing that. He's, he was a warrior in a temple when he turned tables and chased everybody out. That's the warrior face. That's what guys are meant to do. They're the protectors. They're the warriors. They're the ones that go fight the wars. That's exactly what happened in the church and got us into this place in the first place. But the reality is we need to be warriors back and usurp 
instead of advocating, we need to get back in to our roles in the church to be the men God's called us to be in that environment. Play the warrior, play the lover, play the friend, and play the priest or king, which is another piece we haven't even talked about, Mike. And that is we need to be the spiritual servant leaders of our houses, our families, our communities, and our churches. And we have advocated that role in a big way. And we need to get back into being the spiritual leaders in those environments. Amen. Amen. You know, Kevin, you and I can sit around the table, so to speak, and talk about this all day long. Uh, <laughs> we, we both have such a passion for this and such a such a desire to see uh, men uh, uh, become the men God's created them to be and help them to get back into their roots where they're supposed to be. But we don't have that time today. We're coming up on our time. we got to start wrapping things up here a little bit. So uh, we'll get you back on at some point in the future, and maybe we can pick up from where we've left off right here and go on and talk more about that create, capture, and sustain uh, activity about what do we talk, what do we mean by creating, what do we mean by capturing, what do we mean by sustaining, and and see if we can uh, we can uh, simulate that a little bit and help people understand a little bit more about what that's all about. Uh, I would love to have you back on at some point in the future uh, to do that uh, particular program, and because uh, it's very important for our, our churches and our leaders to understand the process of that. But in the meantime, I want I want to give you a couple of minutes here first to just share as we start to come and bring our program to a close to share uh, what's really on your heart. What's, what's God laid on your heart right now about ministering to men and, and what do you and I and other leaders and, and, uh, and our churches need to do so we can start changing this cultural war that we're in for uh, the battle for men's souls. I think this hit me over the weekend. Like I was asked to share on, on Saturday, um, doing a global global television uh, internet tele television thing in in the and the question was is the church ready <laughs> for <laughs> a revival and so it, and it struck me because i really wanted to you know i wanted to answer that question i want to be able to have a, a discussion about this and i think i think the issue here is do we see the the number one issue i think is do we see a need right now mm -hmm. for that is this, do we not, have we not identified uh, the man problem enough to realize that, that, that there's, there's something wrong and we need to change it? And then the second piece is, do we believe that with God it's possible to do this? Because I think a lot of churches out there have given up and said, you know what, we need to maintain the status quo. We need to, you know, just be what we need to be. We don't need to push or rock the boat. And the reality is, do we believe that we serve a God that that can that this can be possible for a revival to happen? And do we trust him as the source to make it a reality? And then the next means is, are we praying for it? <laughs> are we are we praying? for that to do. And then those of us that are channels that have surrendered lives, are we channeling um, what it what it looks like to live this masculine life, life out in the church? Are we individually building relationships with other guys with the opportunity to, to make them become disciple makers? Um, or are we allowing the obstacles to get in the way? That's the issue. Well, well Kevin, um 
if people want to get up with you, I know they can go to uh, the website of uh, maninthemirror.org and they can they can look for area directors there on the top of the screen to to pick you out. But you also have an email address that, that they can reach out to. What's that email address? It's uh, Kevin Gregory at maninthemirror.org. Kevin Gregory at maninthemirror.org. And folks, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, Kevin is a wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience. And like I said, he is pastorally trained. And so he understands a little bit about what's going on in the pastor's mind, so to speak, and the things he has to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So just re reach out to him, pastors, and I think you'll be very pleased with some of the some of the information he would provide you. Kevin, I appreciate you being on the program today. It's like I said, we could continue on and we're going to get you back on and we're going to, we didn't cover half of what we could cover and, uh, and we'll get you back on. And we'll finish up that discussion about create, capture and sustain. But, but we had to trust the Lord got us to what we needed to cover today, Mike. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I appreciate it. I, there's no doubt in my mind we covered what we needed to cover today and, and we will, we will, we'll, we will deal with the rest of it later. Well, as for Coach Program, I encourage you, if you would, to check out my book, The Call, A Journey Into Men's Ministry. It's on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. You can reach out to you there and get there uh, to get it. And I'd appreciate it if you would leave us a review of the book. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated after you read it. And I thank you for listening to Intentional Conversations with Mike Salen. Intentional Conversations is a production of Cape Fear Men, a men's ministry co uh, coalition. If you enjoyed the program, I'd like to ask you to do two things. Number one is to share the, pro share the program with a friend. And two, consider helping us keep these broadcasts coming to you by giving to Cape Fear Men. You can give by going to capefearmen.net and clicking on the Give to Cape Fear Men button at the top of the page. It will be appreciated. Uh, Cape Fear Men is a 501c3 organization operating under Ministry Alliance, and all donations are tax deductible. And I thank you in advance for any donations. If you want to learn more about Cape Fear Men, go to kfearmen.net. We can help you reach your men in your church. And if you want to know more about what we discuss on these programs, go there too, and you can find out uh, the the information on the podcast. If you'd like to speak to me directly, email me at mike.sandlin at kfearmen.net. Now I'm going to leave you with a blessing that uh, Kevin's and I mentor used to say to us all the time after he finished meeting with us and praying over us. He would say, I pray God will keep you a rock to stand on a brook to drink from, and a tree to shade you. So this is Mike Sandlin saying God bless, and I hope you will join me again on the next Intentional Conversations with Mike Sandlin.